I'm someone who loves trying out different makeup looks, but doesn't really wear much on a daily basis, so I like to focus on making sure I have high quality staples. And whether you like a fresh face, full glam, or somewhere in between, you've probably seen Thrive Cosmetics Viral Tubing Mascara. I've certainly seen it everywhere, you know the one in the turquoise tube? So that mascara, along with all of Thrive Cosmetics beauty products, are certified 100% vegan and cruelty-free, which I look for in makeup, and they've got excellent quality to match. And something I didn't know from all the mascara videos I've seen is that for every product sold, Thrive Cosmetics donates either that same product, another product that is needed more, or a monetary donation. They've worked with over 500 nonprofits to help with a wide range of causes like supporting cancer survivors, people experiencing homelessness, education access, and so much more. Knowing that makes me feel even better about using their products. And I do enjoy using them. Like I said, I like having high quality staples, and so my favorites are products that are multi-purpose, like the Brilliant Eye Brightener. It comes in a bunch of colors, and I like using them as eyeliner, eyeshadow, and even highlighter. Thrive Cosmetics is luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com thrive. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S, dot com slash thrive for 20% off your first order. This is Ian Carmel, and you're listening to Rebel Radio. How did you get so lucky? Fuck you, Josh. Fuck you. And you know why, too. We all, everyone in this room knows why. And you're sitting there like, what? We know. Josh. What's up? This is Rebel Radio. What up, what up? This is DJ Newmark. This is Tina Butterwolf. It's your boy. It's okay. Keep checking out Rebel Radio. Rebel Radio. This is Rebel Radio. We're in the place right here. Uh-huh. Rebel Radio is going down. What did you say? Rebel Radio? Oh, wait. Let's do it again. Rebel Radio. Hey, what's up, Rebels? Welcome back to the Rebel Radio Show. I'm your host, Josh Levine. My guest today is Ian Carmel. He's a comedian, really funny dude. Um, if you watch some of his stuff on YouTube, it's great. He was, he's been a writer on Chelsea Lately, uh, on the James Corden show. You might have seen his stand-up on Conan O'Brien. This dude's getting out there. He's also got a great podcast, one of my new favorite podcasts, uh, called All Fantasy Everything. It's good stuff. And he's got some great stories about his journey from obscurity in Portland to uh, hitting the big stage in Los Angeles. Um, he's going to tell us how, how he builds trust with an audience, uh, which enables him to kind of get away with more. I think that's a good lesson we can all, we can all take. Um, kind of how he, how he learns not to take the haters too seriously. And a uh, special bonus, when it's okay to steal material. Good stuff coming up from me and Carmel on Rebel Radio, right after our EDM.com track of the week. Why the hell you tripping? You don't want to get it popping. Everybody ask me when the hell the album dropping. Hit them with that blocker, ba da 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 with a chopper. I just want to keep the peace and I don't want no problems. I swear to God, I'll be trying to keep the peace. I don't want no problems. But a young nigga gotta keep the peace. I don't want no problems. Shout out my shooter that need to be wavy. I don't want no problems. Shout out my shooter that nigga always with me. 
you wanna do really I got that thing on my hippie My homies selling the zippies and smoking out like they hippies My flow is one in a milli My hoe is one out of many They smoking out like a hemi They losing weight like they Jenny You motherfuckers be lacking You motherfuckers are satin You motherfuckers is acting And I'ma give them an Emmy If you give them a 20 They might just give you some zannies And if you give me the harder way I'ma give them a penny Why the hell you tripping? You don't wanna get it popping. Everybody ask me when the hell the album dropping. Hit them with that block about it. So that was Faye with Peace. Our track of the week from our friends over at EDM.com. Make sure you check out EDM.com for that new hot music. And make sure you check out my interview now with Ian Carmel. If you don't really feel me, then who the fuck is you really? I'm kicking shit like I'm messy, dot on your head like a desi. And if you trying to get messy, that boy gonna pull out a desi. That's great. That's awesome. I appreciate you doing this, man. I've been I've been uh, enjoying your comedy online. Thank you. Yeah. But I know you're also a big hip hop fan. Yeah, yeah. Um, I listened to the the uh, the favorite um, clicks, the rap clicks episode. Yeah, yeah. that was, was a fun one. That was good, but that was with uh, like Open Mike Eagle and right. Jeff Weiss, right? Yeah, I love hip hop, but I felt so out of my depth on that because they're the two like true heads. It but that's the good thing me. about podcasts is like you <laughs> yeah. can just mess it up. And you just leave it in. Doesn't really matter. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. he's never gonna hear it. Right, exactly. Yeah. That's so funny. Yeah, half half of what we just say on the show is wrong, so kind of leave it at I'll that. I'll fit right in then. That'll be perfect. <laughs> <laughs> so how'd you first um, how'd you first get into hip hop? Do you remember? Like, the moment you fell in love with hip-hop? I do, I do. And I listened, before the moment I fell in love, I had listened to rap music before, just because it would be on the radio, yeah. you know? And uh, for some reason, I one of the first hip-hop CDs I ever had was Masterpiece, MP, The Last Dawn. Okay. Uh, which was the double album. Yeah. And I would <laughs> and I would listen to that in middle school in Beaverton, Oregon. Wow. Which you couldn't find a less hip-hop place. I mean, Nike's there, which makes right. it vaguely hip-hop. But other than that, you couldn't, couldn't find a less hip-hop Rappers place. come for like two hours. They come for they two hours. Shoes. They go to the employee store. <laughs> they leave with like $20,000 worth of merchandise. And then they and then they get right on a plane to go to a way doper city. Not that, I mean, Portland's fantastic. I don't, yeah. I mean, well, now that Drake is writing songs about it and shit, maybe it is on the come up. But right. uh, so the moment I fell in love, I remember... This was back in CDs, so we would trade CDs. Like, and I had kind of had my fill of the Masterpiece CD. Yeah. And there was this guy on my bus named Jesse. I can't remember his last name anymore, but uh, Jesse listens to the show. Jesse's a sure. big fan of the show. Yeah, Shout yeah. out to Jesse. Uh, fo <laughs> following my career, uh, <laughs> Jesse had a copy of Equimini by Outkast. Okay. And I was, I'd never listened to it. I hadn't, wasn't really that familiar with Outkast. Yeah. So I traded him my, and I was like, he's getting real value for this. This is a double CD. Yeah, yeah. I'm just getting one CD back. <laughs> and I remember putting it on, on the bus, uh, from Meadow Park Middle School, and hearing Rosa Parks for the first time, and just being like, what the fuck is this? Is that like, right? and like rewinding it. That's the only song I listened to the whole way home. Yeah, I probably yeah, listened yeah. to it like five, six times all the way through. Wow. And that, that was like the the big spark moment where I was, and then I like, of course, like poured into the rest of the scene. And then mm -hmm. the next song is Skewed on the Barbie, which is like right. also a fantastic Incredible. song. Yeah. yeah.
with uh with a raekwon with uh with outcast yeah um and then from there it was on and then like i've just i've gained so much uh so many things personally from it like in a number i'm a jew and seeing like the beastie boys like mm -hmm. and them being cool and like yeah, sure. not and not like trying to obscure not right. that they put it front and center or anything like that yeah. but it was like known that these were like three jewish kids yeah you know, from New York. My dad's yeah. from New York, and I would go all the time, so I had, like, that and, like, the Jew thing. And I'm like, oh, no, it's cool. <laughs> These guys are, like, Jews, and it's, like, a cool thing about them. Yeah. I'm a Jew. That can be a cool thing about me. Right. And then you learn about, like, Rick Rubin and all these other, like, people. Sure. And then... I mean, Jew, like, Jews basically, uh, you know, certainly after black people, Jews created hip-hop. Yeah, that's the that's the next group. We were yeah. the silent partner, and then <laughs> the Beastie Boys. Yeah, have sure. <laughs> been kind of silent against sense then. Right. But, uh... <laughs> One moment on stage. Just but, one beautiful, but, yeah. But behind the scenes. A lot of Leor Cohen back, exactly. yeah, behind the scenes. Exactly. Um, yeah, so that was, I mean, for me, that was a cool thing. You know, when you're, like, struggling to find your identity, yeah. I feel like I got maybe not so much an identity, but a lot of, like, confidence in who I was from that and, like, sort of taught myself how to behave based on it because there weren't a lot of other Jews in Beaverton, Oregon. It's a right. yeah, very, sure. yeah. yeah. Um, then the other thing was the Notorious B.I.G. Okay. And just being like being a fat dude, I was then, and I maintain that uh, figure to this day. <laughs> and just watching this dude who was like, right? Not only didn't he run from it, but you know, like the I yeah, mean, fat, black, sexy. and ugly as ever. Yeah. You know, I'm not black, I'm sort of ugly, but like definitely fat. And like just like, and him being like with that, and having that yeah. be a sexy thing, and like girls liking that and everything. Yeah. Then I was like, fuck it, man. If Biggie can do it, I can do. I can run my own like sort of. Uh, bootleg version of it in That's Portland, amazing. Oregon, you know? That's awesome. And just, like, I don't have to not be confident just because I'm, like, kind of a fat dude. And it's still, every time it works with a girl, still, I'm, like, flabbergasted. And I, like, just say, like, under my breath, like, thank you, Biggie. <laughs> 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 every time just a silent, a silent prayer to bed That's right. yeah. Nice. That's amazing. Yeah. Did you ever try to rap and or like get God, get involved in it? There was a, no, I mean, there were times when, even before I was a stand-up comedian, when I would like write raps in like a notebook and uh -huh. stuff, and now reflecting upon them, they were all very like pseudo Macklemore-ish type <laughs> thing. Not like same love shit, but just I remember it's the stupidest thing. I <laughs> it's the only thing I specifically the only rap I remember specifically writing, but it was like it's so stupid. I'm gonna tell you, but I'm ashamed of it. <laughs> it was like uh, I I think of like a reaction mentally by change clothes to change uh -huh. clothes by Jay Z. Yeah. And I was like, now it seems like every rapper who comes straight from the ghetto wants to rock an OG rhyme about a scrappy stiletto. <laughs> and I was like, why are you guys rapping about clothing? You know, right. you should talk about selling drugs, stuff that me, Ian from Beaverton, can relate to. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I try to, I never, I don't have like a, I don't think I have a good voice for it or anything like that. Uh, you could probably be a ghostwriter, though. I could, I could make, I mean, that would be really fun. Yeah. I would love to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Now I, I essentially ghostwrite for like late night television hosts now. Right. So it's, exactly. <laughs> it would be way That's more fun to do thing. it for, yeah, like, uh, well, Vince Staples wouldn't need it, but like somebody <laughs> who would need like a ghostwriter. I mean, I feel like, or, or even just a, a legit writer. Like, I don't yeah. think, I, I think we're past the point in hip hop where you, you're supposed to have written your own shit. Right. I think we are, which is, yeah. I'm fine with that, by the way. Are you? I I can't. You can't? No. If somebody didn't write their own rap? I don't know, man. I like... I, I should, it, It's a stupid thing to care about. I, but, I mean, but we have, I mean, most of the things people care about are stupid. So if we started eliminating that... That's a good point. Uh, yeah, um, 
<laughs> it like if someone, uh, I guess it maybe would a little. But if somebody was like, you know that song you've been listening to, like maybe like you know that Lil Yachty song, you you get hammered and then you play it real loud at your house, right? And they're like, he didn't write that. I'd be like, oh. I'm gonna take back all those moments of joy. <laughs> that's the thing. Like, I think if you find out after, it yeah. doesn't really matter. Maybe that's what it is. Maybe but it's if like, you knew up front. Yeah, yeah. I don't want. I just want the Wizard of Oz to be real. I don't want to know there's some guy behind the curtain. But why is it so? Hip hop and comedy have that yeah. in common. And there are a lot and of comedians who don't write their own stuff. That's the thing, right? Which does bug me, I guess. Yeah. Maybe I'm a hypocrite. <laughs> I might be a hypocrite about that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, because I think that's like. You know, that used to be in rap. Like, if yeah. it was found out that you weren't writing, then you're done. Right, right. right. And but, then Drake just, like, sort of... Yeah, for yeah. sure. Right? And 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 I think it's true in comedy. Like, other than shows... If you steal jokes, for sure. Right. But, but like, if you But if you didn't write your own stand-up routine and, yeah. you're, and you're talking in the first person and all that... Then that is weird. You don't think, like... It rings hollow a lot of the time. Yeah. However, I mean, I guess it depends on how you go about those group rights. Because even, like, somebody... Richard Pryor and Eddie Murphy both used like Paul Mooney, right, uh, to do punch up and to yeah. write jokes for him and stuff like that. Yeah. Now you watch a Richard Pryor and Eddie Murphy, and you're like, these are stories from their right. lives. They're, they're real stories. It's very yeah. clear. But yeah. that's somebody. That's somebody basically sitting around a table with them, and they'd mm -hmm. get like five, six comedians, mm -hmm. you know, and they'd all like, you throw out an idea, and they would like throw angles and punchlines and stuff like that, which was a little bit different. It's not someone giving you like a Manila folder, like here's what you're gonna talk about tonight, <laughs> right, right, which right. also happens. Yeah, cool. Which is also bull. Because there's a thing in stand-up now where it's it's like the last place you can perform live in front of just maybe like 300 people right. without it being like music. So yeah. you get someone like Steve-O. I mean, God bless Steve-O, whatever he wants. Go get your money, dude. You tortured yourself. But like <laughs> who people will write jokes for him. And then, you know, you're at a, you're at like Helium Comedy Club in like Buffalo, yeah. New, you know, New York one week. And you're like, who's here next week? And they're like, Mankind. You know the wrestler? Or, uh -huh. Yeah. Oh, no way. Or like Steve-O. Is that like, right? Yeah. Or the, so there's these people who like get in on the comedy circuit who aren't really comedians, but they have people, even like former SNL guys, some of them have like, who were sketch people, like a yeah. Rob Schneider or whatever, yeah, yeah. doesn't write his own stand-up. I've heard. Oh, is that right? Yeah. But, yeah. Uh, but like people write for him and then he goes up and does it and people just want to see Rob Schneider. Hey, check this out. This week... And really all summer long, Rebel Radio is brought to you by Blue Apron. Uh, we've been using it for the last month or so, and we love it. By we, I mean Christy has been cooking up some of the great recipes delivered by Blue Apron while I've been uh, sitting there on the couch doing nothing. It's easy. It takes her 40 minutes or less. I sit there with a stopwatch and timer. And um, the food's been great. The uh, recipes are really flexible. We haven't had the same meal twice. Christy's allergic to shrimp, so we selected no seafood, and whoop-de-whoop, -whoop, it all works out. Um, if you don't know Blue Apron, it's the number one fresh ingredient and delivery service, recipe delivery service. So they're, they're giving you the recipes and the food to make it. Everything is portioned out, pre-prepared. All you got to do is um, chop it up and cook it and eat it. They're making incredible home cooking accessible to anyone, even you. Check out this week's menu and you'll get your first three meals for free with free shipping just because you listen to Rebel Radio by going to blueapron.com rebel. You'll love how good it feels and tastes to create incredible home-cooked meals with Blue Apron. Don't wait. Do it now. That's blueapron.com rebel. Blue Apron is a better way to cook. I've had this idea for a long time that won't work. Yeah. Like a, a, a stand-up cover act. 
Oh, yeah. So, like, go and do other people's jokes, but as, like... In, we in character, kind of like stand-up yeah, karaoke or, or, almost? Or, or it's your version, but it's still, like, yeah. you're paying tribute to that joke. Doing, like, the chocolate cake joke. You, It would be a great way to save a lot of Cosby bits now. <laughs> now that the well, man is un, unredeemable. That's true. But the he jokes can't still do are. Them, yeah. right? Some comedian had like a that's like funny. when that broke where it's like free run on Cosby jokes like start <laughs> claiming them. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, part of it like the in the serious part of that idea is that like you know there's all this great material that's that's dead. Yeah. Right. Yeah. With, you know, Robin Williams, Lenny Bruce, oh, I know. whoever. Right. Like Steve Martin's not going to use his old jokes. No, he's not gonna. He's not gonna go back up there. And anymore. most people are not going to go back and listen to that stuff unless you're a real fan. Right. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. You're not going to go hear seventies. Comedy, right? Sit at home and put on like yeah, like a Bob Newhart record. No, yeah. I mean that's what we used to do when I was a kid. Yeah, we would put on records and I was I'll still do it, but I'm a comedian. Right. So yeah, exactly. I'll put on like but my your average album. fan yeah. that's going out, they don't. They're not gonna do it. So those jokes disappear. They're gone. Yeah. yeah. It's weird. It's it's interesting because I mean stand up more I think than most other like live performance arts are. It's so it's such a thing that is so of the moment. Yeah. Like I can go back and I'll listen to like uh you know like you can listen to like an Elton John song from the seventies and still feel it the way people felt it back then. Sure. But for the Lenny Bruce or even like I mean to go further if you want right. to listen to like a Frank Sinatra song. Yeah. My way you can relate to that. Yeah. The same way people did back then. Yeah. But if you go back and listen to like a Lenny Bruce act, you know the meaning of obscenity, don't you? Perhaps you know. See, if I do a disgusting show, or use any disgusting words, or I just continue talking about pork. Uh, that's my right, you see, as an American citizen, to discuss pork on stage. Although we discussed all of you vegetarians and Jews and Muslims, that is my right. And if you communists would like to suppress that right to talk about ham and pork, that's, well, that's your right. Now, if I do a vulgar show, I sing rock and roll tunes. Dressed uh, in the most vulgar form, with a big bulbous nose, that is not obscene. Obscenity has one specific meaning, to appeal to the prurient interest, to get you horny. That's what obscenity means, yes. See, if that's why strippers get arrested for being obscene. They come out and they do a horny dance. The viewer gets horny and rapes somebody who didn't see the show. It's hard to laugh at. Yeah. You can, you can recognize the, like, the mastery in it, but you're like, this is so of that time. This for is so sure. responding to the cultural climate of the 1950s. Absolutely. That like, if Lenny Bruce went up at like, the comedy store tonight and tried to do that same bit, people right. would be like, what the fuck is he talking about? Yeah. But you just know that that mind would have interpreted the same. Yeah, That's sure. what comedians' is lenses, right? Well, I because mean, yeah. every comedian since then has heard that and exactly. built on top of it, right? Right, exactly. It's, yeah. A, it's, a, yeah, it's a stone so deep in the foundation that you don't see it, but none sure. of us would be here without it. So Especially funny. Lenny Bruce, yeah. yeah. What made you... Um, do you remember your first your first time on stage? Doing stand-up? Yeah. Yeah. The first time I ever did stand-up was, like, so I've been doing stand-up, like, regularly for about seven and a half years. But you were doing improv before that? Improv that before right? that, okay. yeah, for, like, yeah. three or four years. But the first time I ever did stand-up was almost ten years ago. Okay. And then I did it once and then, like, didn't do it again for three other years. How'd the first night go? It was... I lied to a woman. She was a woman who had, like, booked some improv shows. And uh -huh. She was like, you do stand-up, right? And yeah. just in that moment, I was like, of course I do. Yeah. And I'd never written any stand-up. I'd never performed stand-up. I'd only done improv for like a year and a half, two wow. years. And uh, so I, I went home, and I wrote a bunch of stand-up. Oh, it wasn't just like, okay, go. Not on there. the spot, okay. no. It was like, okay. hey, I'm booking the show in like two weeks or something like that. Right. So I had two weeks, two weeks to write all this material. And uh, I, at that point, I didn't know like pay, what a page converted to on stage. 
where it's mm. like if I fill out a whole page, what is that one minute? Is that five right. minutes? So I wrote all the stand up and I and I memorized it and I brought notes up with me on stage. And the first time I ever did stand up, I did 40 minutes oh, shit. on stage, which is crazy and sounds wow. like I'm made up and also sounds like I'm bragging, which I wasn't because it was not great. Uh -huh. There were funny moments in it. There was like five minutes of stand up in that 40 minutes. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it was at the Clinton Street Theater in Portland, Oregon. Uh, and like at the end of the stand up show with other people who actually did stand up. And at the end, I went up and did 40 minutes, and wow. then I did it again the next weekend. Same routine. Same routine. Yeah. And then I didn't do it again for like three years. Because I had, it was this weird Galapagos island of stand-up. I had no idea what the scene was. Right. I didn't know, like, are there open mics? Like, nobody else at the show knew. Like, nobody told me. Is that right? Yeah, so it was this weird. So then I just went back to improv, and I moved to L.A. the first time after that and, like, did the Groundlings and stuff. But, uh -huh. yeah, then didn't do stand-up again for another three years. And then once I started again, it was like... I was hooked, and then, like, haven't gone more than, like, five days since then. Is that right? Yeah. So what drew you to comedy in the first place? The, I always loved it. I was a fa always a fan of it, but the weird thing about it is it seemed like an impossible thing to do. Mm. I remember, because I, I would listen to, like, this was during Napster, so I would download, like, Chris Rock and Chappelle. <laughs> Shit. Yo, oh, man, drug dealers don't sell drugs. Drugs sell themselves. It's crap. It's not an encyclopedia. It's not a fucking vacuum cleaner. You don't really gotta try to sell crack, okay? I never heard a crack dealer go, man, how am I gonna get rid of all this crack? <laughs> it's just piled up in my house. And like I've done like these Eddie Izzard albums, like all these like, yeah. as much, uh, Carlin, as much stand-up as I could get my hands on, and I would listen to it and, uh, like, fall asleep to it sometimes. And I loved it. I just loved it. But the idea that that was a job you could have seemed completely absurd to me. Yeah. Because, like, well, what do you, do you go to school for it? It's right. like, there's no school that does, like, stand-up. You don't sure. major in stand-up. Um, so, what? I mean, what drew me to it just in general, I guess, was it, was watching people think in serious ways about very silly things mm -hmm. and in silly ways about very serious things. Mm -hmm. And, like, my brain works in, like, sort of a, in metaphors anyway. Mm. Like, to try to understand something, I'll try to relate it to something else I already understand, which is essentially what stand-up is. Sure. So I think I found it was, like, almost like finding your tribe a little bit. You're like, oh, these people think like I think. Yeah. And it's, like, comforting and then funny, too, of course. But also, like, more than that comforting to listen to people think about the world like this. And uh, the first time I ever did comedy was I was going to Portland State University and I needed an arts credit because mm -hmm. I was majoring in poli sci and you need like mm -hmm. one arts class. Sure. And my uncle taught improv, uh, not even comedy, but just like improvisational theater. Right. So I took his class. Yeah. And within the first day, I was like, I was like, oh my God, this is That's what it. I want. This is what I wanted to do. And That's I didn't amazing. even know this existed, but this is like my favorite thing. Yeah. Yeah. That's so cool. Yeah. It was great. So that's what, that's what initially like got me into it. And then what about the first time you bombed? Oh man, it was at a, <laughs> it was so those first two, the first two like 40 minute sets, Yeah, there were like quiet moments in it, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't consider it a bomb. Like it went fairly well. I mean, if you lasted 40 minutes. 40 minutes, right. Yeah. And that's, but everybody's. That's like an HBO special. By that way. is a fucking HBO. <laughs> I haven't done, yeah. It took me another, by the way, like eight years to, or not, I guess from then, not really, but like, yeah. what was that, 10 years ago? So it took me another six years to do 40 again. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, you know. Um, but that's everyone's crazy. first stand-up set, well, not everyone, but a lot of people, it goes well because yeah. you have so much 
adrenaline. Right. And there's people, you have friends there to yeah, see yeah, you. Yeah, it's all built up. Yeah. Yeah. So the first time I bombed was at, was, so three years later when I started doing stand-up again. And this guy, Lonnie Brune, who's still up in Portland, uh, and was kind of, he was kind of one of the OGs on the scene. Uh, and the and the Portland scene kind of like built up, you know, around him to the mm-hmm. where, but he had always been there. Um, and he booked me for the show in Vancouver, Washington, at this bar, uh, where like they didn't turn off the Big Buck Hunter games, and people kept playing pool during the set. Uh-huh. And I got there early, and I was sitting in the back of the room, and like uh, there was a table who were there to see the show, and it was like this middle aged couple, and they broke up. And I'm sitting there, like, I'm sitting there getting like ready at to your go. Show. Yeah, I'm like, this is going to be fun. And it was like a show with like six, seven comedians on it. And I was going to go first. And yeah. these like people broke up and like got in like a, they like yelled at each other and one of them stormed off. And I'm like, <laughs> so that's the energy in the room before I go up. And uh, I just went up and ate shit for yeah. like four minutes. Yeah. I think I had a five minute set. And I yeah. just like, I've been doing like weird comedy in Portland, you know, where it was like, you not way weirder than I do now, like weird, like sort of experimental mm. stuff that, and I say that, and also it was bad on top of it. So I mean, and I'm <laughs> was that thinking, the experiment? And that, yeah, the experiment was can I make people laugh? <laughs> just things they think are supposed to be jokes, like the Emperor's New Clothes. But uh, so it was, and then I was in not the place for it in this like sports bar in like Vancouver. So I'm definitely not in Portland anymore. And I got off stage and walked right out to my car and drove home. (laughs) And I still remember the feeling, just like driving home, like, because I'd done, like, at that point, seven, eight sets that had all gone well, and I'm driving home, I'm like, this feels so bad. It felt so terrible. Like, just like this deep pit in my stomach. I felt like I let everyone there down, and like I failed myself, which now when I bomb, which happens more seldom, but when it does happen, now I have, like, you know, maybe not... Well, probably like thousands of sets under my belt where I'm like, right. no, no, you're good at this. Yeah. Sometimes there's just extenuating circumstances. So but at you... the time, there was no well to go right, to. It right, was like, sure. you suck at this. Yeah. So how do you bounce back from that? Now? No, then. Then. I just did more sets. It was like, I was like, I still love doing this. I was depressed. I think I got really stoned that night, you yeah. know, and uh, and like played like NBA 2K, whatever the year was, and then just like. Woke up the next day and then went to the same coffee shop I'd always go right at. Uh-huh. Wrote new jokes. And then, I don't know if it was the next day, but not not long after that, there was, like, another open mic. And I went to that. And that yeah. went okay again. Yeah. And then you start, like, you know, it's like rehabbing from an injury almost uh, is, like, coming back from a bombing set where it's like, mm-hmm. all right, let's remind yourself you're funny. And then you eventually get your swagger back. And then you're back, you know, to doing what you do. Mm-hmm. And now that recovery period is so much quicker. Sure. I'm like LeBron getting like my blood spin, you know, <laughs> in like Germany or whatever. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. Um, and so what's it like? Uh, I know you write for, for other people. You yeah. write for Conan and Chelsea. And... Uh, yeah. James Corden. Oh, yeah, James yeah, Corden. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. I'm not, no, please. It's all right. Uh, and then, yeah, I wrote for Chelsea Handler was my yeah. first job. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. It was. It was a weird fit. So how do you approach, like, tell me, what's the process yeah. writing for someone else versus writing for yourself? It's been, well, you know, it it it, it varies from person to person. Yeah. So with, with Chelsea, when I got hired on that show, she had been on the air for seven years, mm. and she had an established comedic voice. So what I did with that was I just watched as much of the show as possible. Yeah. I read her books. Uh, I watched like whatever stand-up was available of hers and I like tried to as much as I could understand mm-hmm. her point of view. Um and then once you 
once you start to understand that a little better, you can be like, all right, this is a joke that I couldn't get away with, but I think Chelsea could tell. Yeah, you know, uh, like like a like here's a joke about being like a drunk blonde woman, right, mm -hmm. or whatever, you know. Sure. And you could get away with that. I could get away with it. I think, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just maybe like a little wig, like a bob. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I got the drunk part down most nights. No, not most, but definitely tonight. Uh, so you just try to like learn their voice and then you, you, and you try to add a little bit of yourself. You try to be yeah. like, this is a 90% Chelsea joke and then here's why I'm here. Here's like mm -hmm. this 10%. Here's an angle that I figured out, you know? And with pop culture stuff, which was what a lot of that show was about, it was all about takes, yeah. you know? angles and stuff like that and you yeah. like would help her find those angles and then be like all right how do we make that a chelsea angle with with corden uh i was i was one of the first writers they hired so i was working there mm. three four months before the show was ever on the air oh cool so that was an interesting thing because he had he was famous in england and he had been a famous actor and stuff like that but he had never really been a ho i mean he hosted like a sports show mm -hmm. but he had never been mm -hmm. like this show is just this guy. Yeah. So that was interesting because we got to kind of together figure out what his comedic voice is. We kind of got to build it from like... That's great. I mean, he obviously had strong points of view and he was in there with us. Sure. But it was like so different from Chelsea where I arrived to a factory that was already up and running. Yeah. But with James, uh, it was like, all right, how are you funny? How do we... Like, what are your angles? What are the things like you're really good at? And how do we build that into the context of like American late night television? Mm. Um, so that was, really, that was a, kind of an easier process because that happened so naturally that we were all learning it together. There wasn't mm -hmm. like a manual that I had to learn like when yeah. I got there the first day. Yeah. Um, and that was really rewarding. And especially with that guy who is such a, su I, such a talented, nice dude. He's kind of a dream to write for. Is that right? It's, I mean, it's a little, I mean, for me, like it's, it's like, it's a little more, fun than funny mm -hmm. sometimes, mm -hmm. which is true of a lot of American yeah. late night now, you know, yeah, Fallon yeah. especially. And like, sure. and our show is a little bit of that too, but he is when he wants to be like a wickedly funny person and you can write anything for him and mm. he can do it. If it's a song, he can do it. If you want him to dance or whatever, he can do that too. Yeah. He's an amazing comedic actor. He can deliver a joke now. Yeah. He's great off the cuff. It's like, it's like, so it's just like, a dream for a comedy writer to be mm -hmm. able to write for that kind of person. Yeah, so he can do it. So that's been really cool. What do you think you learned from those experiences that you can uh, that you like apply to your own? My own, yeah. Some of, well, some of it is. I think as a stand-up comedian, we tend to think of ourselves almost as like evangelists of our own personal truth, mm. where we go around sure. and we're like. And it is very important. If you're telling jokes that you don't think are funny, but you know the audience to laugh at, that's how you become a very hollow person who doesn't yeah. last in showbiz because you don't have a personal point of view. Yeah. But one thing I've learned from writing for both Chelsea Lately and The Late Late Show is that it's okay, it's okay to just be dumb funny sometimes. That's totally fine. You can say some stuff that's just going to make the crowd laugh mm -hmm. and there doesn't have to be a big message behind it. There doesn't have to always be a deeper truth in it. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it's good to feed audiences that every now and then. And then you can go back to your stuff where you feel like, you know, I, I really feel these jokes. Mm. But like every now and then, and I think it's made me like a more, uh, maybe a little more accessible, but also like more fun. I don't want, I don't want to hate a crowd. Like I don't want to, no, no shade on Bill Hicks, but I don't want to be up there to be like Bill Hicks. <laughs> 
I don't want to be like shouting at people. Goes like you motherfuckers are stupid. Can I cuss? Right. I'm sorry. I didn't yeah, even yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah. Like you motherfuckers are too stupid to get these jokes. Fuck you anyway. I don't care if you like them. Right. I like don't want to be that guy. Yeah. I want so like if I'm in Kansas City doing stand up, where you know I know me and the crowd, our Venn diagram is like a sliver. It's like a little piece of almond you get in an Applebee's salad. Right. It's like a tiny. The amount of stuff we have in common is like tiny, and but I I want to move that in a little bit, and yeah. it's okay if I can if I can tell like a few like. Just dumb, silly jokes, you know, that maybe I don't believe in as mm -hmm. much, mm -hmm. but, like, I can kind of get the crowd onto my side a little bit. Yeah. They're going to have a better time. I'm going to have a better time. And they should and they should have a good time. God bless them. They got a babysitter, and they're paying $9 for, like, a well, for, right. you know, like, in, in Missouri, by the way, right. where nothing should cost $9. Sure. And they're paying 9 bucks for, like, a well whiskey soda. Yeah. So, like, yeah, so that, and it's taught me to not be ashamed of that as much. Because it's like, uh, fuck it, man. You're up there. You're trying to make people laugh. And sometimes a spoonful of sugar helps the medicine go down. I mean, that's interesting because, um, you know, you talk about traveling the country yeah. right, in these different parts. And, and um, you know, I've, I've read something you said about, like, how our culture is more splintered now. And that creates different opportunities. Yeah. But I think, you know, by the same time, token, you know, when I go to comedy clubs on Sunset, whatever, like, there's a lot of liberal humor. Yeah, yeah. You know, talking shit about Trump or or whatever. Right? Absolutely. And then you got to go play these markets. Well, you know, this, those are the people who voted for Trump. Yeah, and they're yeah. probably not going to think that's funny. Yeah. Right. Um, if you're, if it's just pure venom. Yeah, they want. sure. If yeah, right. yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah, I mean, some stuff I'm sure probably some but, stuff still converts. Yeah. But how 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 much you know how much do you think about that that like this is going to work on the coast but not in you know i think about that yeah yeah there's like and i i will definitely structure a set yeah in such a way that if you if you it's almost like when movie stars do like one for me one for you kind of thing right, you know right, right, but right. on a way labor scale with a much shittier green room but like uh you're like all right here's the joke listen to me talk about how i'm fat for 10 minutes right right and here's some jokes about me making fun of myself yeah. And then you have the audience on your side. They're laughing. They trust you. That's what I mean. Th this is not me breaking any new ground saying this, but stand up is very much about trust and sure. like building trust with an audience. And uh, and then I can do maybe a more esoteric joke. Like so, here's I just did ten minutes about making fun of myself for being chubby. Now here's a ten minute joke about or like a ten minute chunk about how I think guys should taste their own semen if they expect women to swallow it. <laughs> and that's if the audience if I opened with that, the right. crowd would be like a little more like, yeah, you know, sure. who the hell's this guy? But like uh right. but once you've built up like a rapport with them and trust, or or here's ten minutes on like why I think Trump is a dipshit, right? Yeah. And then you may lose some people. Yeah. You may lose those people who want to stand up and shout back at you. Right. And who are all they're mad at you for your politics and because you just made their wife laugh harder <laughs> than they have in years. Sure. You know, so they're like you're always going to deal with those people, but if you, I mean, if you feed them enough up front, I think it's it's about building that rapport with the crowds. And I definitely, when I'm doing a show in a place that I know isn't coastal or one of those, like a blue oasis, like a uh -huh. Austin, Texas, or whatever, yeah, yeah. Uh, I do think about that <coughs> for sure. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. yeah. So, but is, so is that true? Like beyond, you know, what you say about trust with an audience, like that's true in all of life. Right. Like yeah. Any relationships come down to trust. Absolutely. Is, yeah. Is, is it uh, that's a that's a exclusive here. Yeah. That we've, we've broken that news. <laughs> We're breaking on, that on trust Rebel is Radio. important in life. Yeah. 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 No. It's, yeah. No. It's, I mean, I like, just realized that. No. But um, I guess the question is, like, yeah. is that can, are there lessons that you can take from being a comedian to apply to 
to the rest of life and how to do that? Well, there are. I mean, definitely there's been times in a conversation where I've been like, where you were having like a more serious conversation and I can, you can feel tension being built up in a conversation. Like yeah. you're talking to like, you know, someone you're dating and you're having a very serious conversation. You feel all this tension. Right. And, you know, and it's energy that can go, it can turn if it goes one way. Now we're screaming at each other. Yeah. Or if you crack a joke and you right. want to release that tension. Yeah. And that's something I like doing enough stand up. And I've probably, I've, I'm better at stand-up than I am at being in relationships, so I do try to take some well, of that wisdom. Need, you only need, like, eight minutes at a time. Right, so. exactly. <laughs> I'm great in eight minutes at a time. Once it's a whole weekend, you know, I snore, all that. Uh, but um, I've de I'm definitely I've become better at reading tension and knowing, like, when it needs to be released. And that, and in, in conversations in relation, I, it's definitely bought me time before. Yeah. <laughs> you know, where you crack a joke and then, yeah, like... Yeah. And then all of a sudden, what are we yelling at each other? I usually you know? just resort to like slapstick. I just I drop something on my you will. <laughs> like I'm you got joking. a hand buzzer. Yeah. I don't do that with my wife, but I actually do that with my son when he's like freaking out. I'll like fall yeah. over the chair. Or something. Oh, they love it. Yeah, yeah. and yeah. it'll just like diffuse the situation. It works with men of all ages. It works a little bit slapstick more. <laughs> yeah. I'm gonna Women try that with more my wife next time. Yeah, it's coming. Gonna, you might need to you might need to get some satire in I'm there. I'm gonna like burn my hand on the I'm gonna pick up the frying pan. Or yeah, something. yeah, <laughs> and then like the fajita stuff falls on the floor <laughs> exactly. and then you slip on it. Yeah, exactly. Be great. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Yes, that'll save me a weekend. Yeah, absolutely, it will. If you do that on a Friday night, yeah, yeah. Saturday and Sunday are gonna be great. You'll be in the burn unit for the rest of Friday night, but Saturday and Sunday will be great. <laughs> exactly. She might even like make you the fajitas because exactly. she feels bad for you in your See? hand. Yeah. <laughs> Life lessons. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, so that and another, I mean, just general lessons from stand-up is that, and that I've only begun to internalize, is that, like, you can be, you can be really good at something, and if you don't work hard at it, it's still, mm -hmm. there were people, I sincerely believe, and maybe this is faux humility, but I think it's, when I started out in Portland, who were naturally funnier than me, Yeah, you know, who were, like, just were, like, had an amazing gift. And I was, I'm not talking shit about myself. I was also very naturally funny. But I was, I worked harder. I was yeah. in, I was in like the coffee shop writing like an hour or two, five, six days a week, yeah. you know, yeah. while doing a 40 hour a week job and like going out and doing stand up. And that made all the difference. And now like with, with anything else, I'm like, remember that lesson. Like mm -hmm. I just did like a pilot with Comedy Central mm -hmm. and it was like, there were nights where it's like, hey, I could get stoned, I could like play video games and watch TV, or I could take this next hour and really think about it. And yeah. it helped a lot. I made like breakthroughs that uh I don't think I I don't I don't think I would have come to like the next morning, for example. It was like mm -hmm. I had to think about it that night. And like with anything, with like relationships, with trying to be healthier. I just went to the gym for like uh 29 out of 30 days. Nice. And I was like, well, you have to because I had to do it. You're like, you're like it's not a thing that's going to fix itself, right. you know? Yeah, sure. And I've been trying to, like, remember that. I'm like, yeah, look how good it went with stand-up. Yeah, yeah, so we're, you shouldn't be afraid of work. And you shouldn't be afraid of a lack of immediate results either, mm. which is very true in stand-up. That's a big one. Yeah, well, you might suck. Han Everybody talks about Hannibal Burris in Chicago, how he was, like, not that great for, like, a couple years. Yeah. And then all of a sudden it clicked, like, because he put the work in. I think they should embrace that. Yeah. They did that. They're like, oh, it's just bigger than that. People use your app to bone strangers. And 
embrace that, be self-aware about it, and, and just be a happy billionaire. Yeah. And so they were upset. They, you made some joke about it. And, you know, his genius and his, like, mouth lined up perfectly finally. Yeah. And they've been synced up ever since. And now he's, like, one of the best, most original, talented comedians in the world. He's so funny. But it, there were a couple of years of struggle, you know? Sure. Yeah. That strikes me as such a delicate balance, right? Yeah. That on that end, you're not there yet, and most people just give up. Yeah. On the other end, you talked about, like, I see a lot of comics, they get that one joke. Yeah. Like, and then that's the only joke they tell. Like, I know they're, what in, you mean. they're stuck in that lane for the rest of their lives. But that begs the question is it like, is that their one joke? Because they were, they, they had a spark of genius and thought of that and then didn't work really hard? Or, because I've seen people who work hard and just don't have it too, well, which is a little bit of a, it's a saddest I'm thinking, situation. I mean, to me, I'm like, um, I'll use Chris Rock as an example. Oh, yeah. I think he's a genius. Yes. But his first, I forget the, which one was, but the first special yeah. with the OJ shit. Oh, yeah. And all, it was like off the charts. Amazing. The second one, he does this thing where he's yelling. Yeah. Oh, where he like, yeah. He and it was a, a great a... special, but now... Everything he does is in that voice. That he yells yelling. and he repeats everything. Yeah. yeah, he repeats premises and sets yeah, yeah, them up. Yeah, yeah. yeah well, that's... so like he's still talented. Like still you know, amazing. Yeah, of course. Well, but... ask Netflix. They, you know, what do they give him? Sixty million dollars for yeah. two specials or something crazy like that? Yeah, yeah. they believe in him. Yeah, um, I know what you mean. That's that became his oral, oral Jim Gaffigan doing the right. comment on my own joke. You know, oh my god, <clears throat> is he really doing that? You yeah. know, and then like yeah, yeah, sure, commenting. Yeah, so. I mean, I, so far be it for me, I would love to have one of those things. <laughs> <laughs> I would love to have, well, like, a hacky thing. But I think, too, some, you know, sometimes it can work. Yeah. Right? Like, Well, it's an self-hack is an, is an interesting idea. Yeah. Because it, it, it becomes a thing that there's so... That Chris Rock invented it, mm -hmm. and then he still does it, but maybe at some point it seems like he's hacking an earlier version right. of Chris Rock. Yeah. Um, I don't know. It'll be interesting to see... What these new specials are like now that he's, I mean, it's been what yeah, it's ten been years since his last one, yeah. and uh, and his life has changed like quite a bit. Yeah, um, yeah, I could see how that stuff could get annoying. I guess it doesn't really. To me, that's just like listening to Metallica, and they have like, and the guitars are louder sure. than the drums. Yeah. You know, like that's just yeah. what you're gonna get. Yeah, yeah, yeah I think so. Yeah. It's funny you say like life's changed. You you were talking about on your on your show with Jay Z. Yeah. Right, like how you know now he's an old rich man, and that's pretty much all he can rap about. It's hard to hear, yeah, yeah. It's hard to be like, I, yeah, I remember from thirty years ago, yeah, right. like raps like that, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but I mean, that can go bad in certain ways. Like sometimes it, on moments on you know Magna Carta, or it can be Watch the Throne, right. which was all about opulence sure. and like one of the most fun like party records in the last decade, right? Yeah, you throw yeah, that yeah. on a party and people are like stoked. They can't yeah. relate to it. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I think it's a. It's a weird thing, and I think it's it's true in comedy, but you know, in in music, especially rap, we think about it more. Just this idea of like, yeah, the, the idea of authenticity, the idea that like your art is a reflection of you. Yeah, and I think it. I think it's you in character. Hundred percent. Right? Like, I and and we and we we don't like. We don't really want to accept that. That people are playing characters. Yeah. 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 No, you don't. You want it because you want... Right. You want to feel like a connection to this person and yeah. not... Which is... Well, and it's... And, but it, it's, it's what you said. It's the trust thing, right? Yeah. Like, like yeah. 
can I really trust you if I'm conscious that you're playing a character? Yeah, and I guess it depends on how divorced that character is from the real person behind it, you know? Yeah, because um, yeah, you have somebody, I mean, I guess you have somebody like Jay-Z now, where if he was up there, like, rapping about, like, selling crack, you'd be like, anyway, you'd be like, no, that's that's not you anymore. But, yeah. like, but if, like, a comedian, like, if I go up there and tell jokes about, like, get, you know, like, getting hammered and eating pizza, which sometimes I'll tell jokes about that kind of right. stuff. And, you know, maybe, and I've been being healthy for a month. Right, right. Like, oh, fuck that guy, he doesn't yeah, even yeah, eat fuck pizza. fuck that guy, yeah, but it's like, no, that's still me, that's still me, don't worry. But, like, yeah, 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 yeah. So that's He's not that, vegan. that's not that far divorced. My lifestyle right. hasn't changed. I've just decided to try and, like, yeah. Right. Uh, stay down to my fighting weight a little bit. But, yeah. like, uh, yeah, I, I think, and the more famous you get, I think the more maybe you do have to create that character. So you, like. Sure. So you have something that's still just your own. Yeah. This is only a thing I can speculate about because I'm not like a famous person, but like, if you're like a, even just someone as big as like a Kevin Hart, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. There has to be on stage Kevin Hart, and then you think there would have to be like, no, this is how I really am because yeah, I need course. to have one thing that's still just mine. Yeah. You know? Of course. Yeah. No, I'm sure of it. I'm sure of it. Yeah. I knew um, years ago I met this uh, this reggae artist. He wasn't at like dance hall. Yeah. He wasn't like super famous, but he locally. Big in dance hall and locally. Yeah. Yeah, locally, like he had a thing going and um and I loved his record. He just had this one record and whatever. And I met him like backstage at a show and then he was like dropped the the Jamaican accent. Oh, there's no patois? Nah, he was like from Brooklyn or something. That's shit. a little weird to me. It yeah. was weird. And then like a fan <laughs> walked up and he picked it up again yeah. right away. That is and, a little that's but, a little strange. But, but the, I mean but the record was was hot you whatever know? it takes what i guess yeah um but yeah yeah so why'd you why'd you come from portland i mean why'd you leave portland and come here i got uh so when I, there's a thing in stand-up called Just for Laughs, which yeah. is a big festival they do in Montreal every year. And there's a thing at Just for Laughs called New Faces. Yeah. Which is, I like uh, would relate it to, like, it's like the NBA draft for comedians. Mm -hmm. it's, a, it's a big opportunity. It doesn't, mean, it doesn't guarantee success, but it's like 10 to 15 comedians every year. You get showcased. Uh, all the industry's up there. Yeah. So I had a manager when I did it. Um, who signed me when I was still in Portland because I would fly down to L.A. and do shows, mm -hmm. and she's still my manager. And uh, and while I was up there, the shows went well, and then I had, like, I had all these meetings with, like, different agents and stuff like that. Yeah. And that's where I signed with my agency. Uh, and also, that's where, like, I first met the booker from Conan, mm. and then also the booker from Chelsea Lately, who wanted me to come be, like, a comedian on the panel nice. at Chelsea Lately. Yeah. Um, it's a big day. Big day. It was yeah. like, yeah, it was it was huge. So a little bit before that, I was like, well, actually, here's what really happened, is I was in a very tumultuous relationship, kind of, which is a lot of my stories are like that, but kind of a relationship. The most crazy, insane relationship I've ever been in in, my, right? in my entire life. <clears throat> I, I mean, she, like, a beautiful, wonderful woman, Every now and then, a couple of screws loose, and for some reason, I was I was very like, I'm gonna fix this, or we're gonna be okay, like kind of yeah. thing. And uh, 
it was just like crazy. Like she cheated on me. Yeah. I would show up like, you know, we'd get into these like not even fights, but just like overly emotive, dramatic conversations that would involve me like being like at her house at like three in the morning, like open your door, like a oh, wow. crazy show where looking back at it now, I'd be like, dude, get, you need to remove yourself from the situation. <laughs> but it's so intoxicating at the time. Yeah. So I was in this crazy situation with this girl. And eventually it was after a stand up show I had done. I used to do the show called Funny Over Everything in Portland that we would do at a big theater, and it was really fun. And it was after one of those, so I was feeling confident, and, like, I was like, so are we going to hang out tonight? And she had some excuse about and I was like, fuck it then. Mm -hmm. I'm moving to L.A. Like, oh, wow. it was, like, one of those. And I had already, it had already been a thing I was really thinking about. Yeah. But I, I think that might be the first time I've ever told that story. Oh, wow. It, that I was just, like, I had just enough wanting to move to L.A. in my blood that when she was just, like, Oh, you're gonna toy with me again? We had plans uh -huh. to hang out tonight. Now we're not gonna, you know. Then I was like, "Fuck it, I'm moving." So that's so now nice. that yeah, uh. and it was a tantrum that ended up working out very well. But then <laughs> later, I found out that I had gotten just for laughs, like literally later that week. Nice. And then once I got that, I was like, "Okay, I really am," and did yeah. the Facebook announcement, which was me like locking myself into it because then yeah. I couldn't be like, "Actually, I'm staying." Good. Sure. After like 800 people were like, "Good luck," or whatever. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and. Uh, yeah, and then I moved. I moved down to L.A. Uh, I moved in in a house with uh, Ron Funches, who's a good oh, friend of mine, cool. who was a Portland comedian. Yeah, uh, Riley Newton, who's a friend of mine, who was a comedian from Seattle, and then this guy Dan Duarte, who's also from Seattle, a funny guy. Mm. And uh, yeah, moved into that house. I got there at like three in the morning and like slept on the couch, and then like no had to go buy a bed the next day and all that. And did my Chelsea appearance a few days later, mm -hmm. and then it went really well, and they offered me a job. Uh, two days after that. Cool. So I was very lucky, yeah, with yeah. my... I threw a tantrum and then luckily was given a job like five days after moving here. That's amazing. Which is... I realize how lucky I am. You know it's what I mean? That's like even talented, really lesson. talented comics don't, yeah. Just do that. Do Everyone. that. Yeah. Get in a fight. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Get into a relationship that could be a B-plot line from This Is Us and then, <laughs> and then move down here to L.A. <laughs> Hey, if you're enjoying this one, let's go back in the Rebel Radio archives. Check out my interview with Jimmy Oyang. Jimmy is a really funny dude, uh, regular on Silicon Valley. Uh, this season, if you've seen it, his role is expanding. He's become, well, I don't want to give it away, but watch Jimmy on Silicon Valley. Listen to Jimmy on Rebel Radio and listen to the rest of Ian Carmel right now. So how did you find, because uh, you, you had like a pretty... Uh, you're pretty big in Portland. Yes. Right? Yeah, yeah. And I, I've, I've, I've read the, some of the uh, newspaper the yeah. column. And... Portland, first of all, I love Portland yeah. almost more than anything. Portland's but Portland great. loves Portland. Yeah. Portland yeah, loves yeah, yeah, them yeah. some Portland. For sure. And the fact that I was the first. There were other big comedians, like Ron, you uh -huh. know, was fairly successful there. Uh, a few other people. But I was the first, like, real, like, homegrown. Yeah person who like loved portland back as much as portland loved them and i was from there and the, yeah they like so how do you adapt to like being being that kind of big fish yeah to then coming to la uh it was a little it was a little weird i was lucky again that i was got to be on yeah. tv like five days after maybe you're just so busy yeah that there not... were i now had to pay for sandwiches which yeah. i never did in portland and like drinks and everything yeah because it was i got to be the coolest break that i had in portland was that when I was still like hosting at Helium Comedy Club, so just like emceeing, doing six minutes in front of headliners and like, uh, or oh, 10 minutes. But um, then email went out to all the comedians. They were like, hey, is anyone a basketball fan? Mm. And I'm a huge basketball fan. Yeah. 
And there was this like post show for the Trailblazers on their local cable network uh, called Talk and Ball. Mm. And I was like, I'm a big basketball fan. And I went and did it, and that went well. So then I had like a regular spot nice. after every Blazer game, yeah. just being like the funny guy. Oh, so then huge. I was on in like every bar in Portland because they'd leave that on just after the game. Yeah. So people started to get to know who I was. So then, yeah. Uh, yeah, it was amazing. It was so fun. You'd walk down the street and That's be awesome. like, Ian. I'd be like, yo, you know. Uh, it's still like that, actually. Really? Portland is like, yeah, yeah, God, I love that city. I mean, more people are moving there who yeah. uh, don't know that, like, who or don't sure. give a fuck who I am because they weren't there when I was on TV for the yeah. Blazers and stuff. But it's still, it's still so cool. I took a girl on a date at a, at like a, we both lived in LA, but she was up there on work and I was mm. up visiting at this like Italian food restaurant. And, like, I went there, and they were like, we hoped it was the you were the Ian Karma. And then, like, no brought us all this, like, f- like free food and, like, the chef came. It was, like, That's crazy. Awesome. And that yeah. never happens to me in L.A. And never, probably never will. Probably works Portland, pretty nice on a date, though. So powerful. <laughs> so powerful. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was, I was just, So like, you should do that. You got to prepay. I do. The, the restaurant. Yeah. And, like. Go Going on. to, like, John and Venny's here yeah, in L.A., yeah. like, listen, this is going to sound crazy, but I need you to pretend, like, <laughs> yeah, you yeah. know my podcast. Or whatever. <laughs> I want you to exactly. be like, you wrote, that joke you wrote on the Grammys was amazing. Yeah. We knew it was you. Yeah. Totally. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Your money's no good here. Yeah, yeah, please. Yeah, I prepaid, yeah. <laughs> yeah I get, like, 600 bucks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. That's it. I'm going to write that one down. Yeah, it's a pretty, pretty good idea. Yeah. yeah. I'm sure that works. I'm sure that's the premise of a, of a movie or like an after school special. That, that could, yeah, I could see Jason Siegel doing that <laughs> in like a rom com at some point. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, what about so you got you were like listed? You, you went you got some you got recognized for your Twitter account. Oh, as like best Twitter. Or oh, you're on somebody, the list of, yeah, like Paste Magazine or somebody. What's yeah. the um so? I guess the question is, yeah, how do you approach social media? And what do you recklessly? Yeah, <laughs> a little bit too much. I don't have a strategy. I have no. Co- I tweet a lot about basketball. Yeah, when the the basketball is on. Yeah, I tweet a lot, a little bit about politics, sometimes to my detriment. Mm-hmm. And then just when I'm feeling emotional, I'll tweet about that too. Do you think differently about the different channels? So like Facebook versus Twitter, sure. or whatever. I post. I really only post like show updates on yeah. Facebook. Twitter, for some reason, I think the immediacy of the response is I, uh, mm-hmm. I'll just, that's the thing I post on the most. I think mm-hmm. I've tweeted like 50,000 times or something crazy like that. Where does the time go? If I, th- I Sometimes I think about what if you spend even half oh, that yeah. time just writing more jokes. But, yeah. um, <laughs> uh, but it's good. It's built like a big following for me. And people care about that now. They're yeah. like, how many Twitter oh, followers yeah. does Ian have? You so, know? Um, when they're like deciding if they want to do a show with you. Right. Um, Instagram is just for fun, yeah. Really, for me, it's like look at this pretty flower, or yeah. like I went to the gym and there's a picture. So there's no there's no cohesive strategy to it, other than now I try to be more careful on Twitter because I made the alt right mad. Did you over the holidays? And they tried they tried to like ruin my life. Really? Those people are a little bonkers. I know I'm not breaking any news with that either. <laughs> I what? said I Ivanka Trump was accosted on an airplane oh, by a yeah, by yeah, a, yeah. a gay couple. He was holding his kid and he was like, Your father's ruining the country. Yeah. And I said, Good. I'm glad that happened. Yeah. She if she's like yeah. gonna be in these meetings and like she, you know, if she wanted to be like, I'm trying to live a private life, fine. But if you're gonna involve yourself in this administration that's actively harming people. Yeah. And then I got into this argument with this guy on like my Twitter feed, and one I eventually <laughs> tweeted, I'm like, fuck her and fuck her family. Yeah. In the middle 
of a long conversation full of context, but this website, InfoWars, which is Alex Jones's website. Okay. Uh, so it's like a, a right website. Big time yeah, alt-right, yeah. like conspiracy theory. He's like the guy who thinks Sandy Hook was fake, like oh, crazy, wow. but like who also had Trump like on his show uh -huh. during the election. But like, um, so they posted this big article like, like left-wing comedy writer, <laughs> you know, goes after Ivanka Trump or whatever. And probably like, that probably helps you in Hollywood, though. I, I would, it, but, but it probably doesn't help you on the road. It doesn't help on the road. Well, it yeah. doesn't help, like, they, I had to block 600 people on Twitter over, like, 24 hours. Oh, shit. Just because they were just like, like, I hope you die, you fat fuck. Just all these, where, like, at this point, I'm like, that just rolls off my back. Yeah. It doesn't bother me. Yeah, but yeah, it just yeah, sucks when annoying. I, like, go to my notifications. I'm like, oh, great, more people calling me a fat Jew. Fine. Right. Like, uh... And then the worst part of it was they like doxed my address and my mo and my oh, mother's address. Wow. So they like found out where I lived and like found out like where my mom lived. And That's they're crazy. like, it'd be a pity if something happened. Oh shit. Yeah. So like crazy stuff. All because I ran my big fat mouth on Twitter. And uh That's crazy. I've since then taken precautions to fix that. I bought a sword. I bought my mom a sword. No, yeah. I <laughs> <laughs> no, she advice. like lives in a building with a doorman, so it's totally fine anyway. And if yeah. they want to, if, He's got if any of these sword. feckless, fat, fucking doughy Nazis want to come try something with me, they're more than welcome to. So I mean, a yeah. lot of people are tough on Twitter. I know a lot yeah. of Twitter fingers, but uh, <laughs> so yeah, so it didn't really. But it was just like annoying, and it was crazy. And I was like, so that was a reminder to be like, you can have opinions on there, but maybe don't like stick your dick directly into a beehive next time, right? <laughs> like, which is exactly what I did. I should have known better, but. So the only real social media strategy I have is to try to be as much of myself as possible, but also be a little more careful now that you know sure. you have a blue check mark. They know it's you. Yeah. So remember that you have you are somebody with family and friends and everything like that. And this and online is real life now. Yeah. It's not there. It, you can't just say like, oh, it's just Twitter. That's sure. real life. That's the main way people get information from our president now. Sure. It's real life. So you know. On that, <clears throat> on that note, like, I'm, I'm thinking back to hip hop, right, and how yeah. beef has always been part of hip hop. Yeah. But, but when, you know, when I was coming up, like, there was beef, but it would be like, I would say something about you on record. Yeah. And six months later, you would make right. your next album that would say something about me, and then you'd be in the source, and that would come out in three months. Sure, it would be like, yeah, it'd be like the, yeah, you'd get like LL Cool J and, and yeah. Cannabis. That would yeah. be like, that would be the or, beef. Or like, uh, it was like LL and Kumo D. And Kumo like, D, yeah. Like that, and it was like, you know, the, there was so much time, it was like the, it was like the, uh, in, uh, what was it? I always remember like reading Shakespeare, like, yeah. like the news to, that someone died took like three weeks because they had to sail a ship. They wouldn't find out in Milan for ages. They're <laughs> exactly. like, how's Dave? Oh, you didn't hear, he died over a year ago. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it's kind of like that, right? Yeah. And, uh, and now, you know, everything's immediate. It's immediate. Yeah. It's, it happens faster than people can think. Yeah. And that becomes clearly, I mean, anyone who spent any time online for sure. Has read it and maybe even participated in like saying something and they're like, I don't even think that. Why did I say that? <laughs> right. Answer thing thoughts that are fueled purely by anger and no for rationale. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Which is dangerous. Yeah. yeah. Even for me, the stuff I said, I didn't truly believe. Yeah, it's, it's I I I don't like It's a her. passing thought. Yeah, but I don't yeah. want her like I don't want her to get yelled at with her kids there. I mean, like that, yeah. It's funny. I I I often have moments where I'm like I catch myself and I'm like, this is a passing thought. Yes. That, you know, yeah, if we're sitting across a cup of coffee right now, I would discuss it with you. Right. 
but you don't want to go on wax with it. No, yeah, no, no, exactly. <laughs> yeah, that's good to remember. The anytime I write like an angry email about whatever, oh, now, yeah. I write it. Yeah, and then I step away for a couple yeah, hours, yeah, yeah. and I have never sent that email. Same. Every time I'm like, nope, nope. I like to write God. emails without the person's name in the in the very suit, smart. So it can't so even happen on accident. So you can't send it by accident. Yeah. 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 Well, that's a good strategy. I always put it in there. Like, I'm like, I'm like well, the, we'll fucking see. This one, this is the one that's getting sent. This is the one. And then invariably, literally right. zero out of 150 like, hey. times or whatever. It's been sent. Yeah. yeah. That's a good strategy, too. That that is sick. Because I've sent some angry in emails. This immediacy before. of our, our culture. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You want, I mean, yeah, the I mean, instant gratification is the name sure. of the game these days. Yeah. yeah. Even if it's cotton, and it always ends up being cotton candy gratification. It's yeah. like it's sweet, but there's no nutrition in it. Do you feel like that's changing music? I know you're, you're, yeah, the- um, yeah. Although it is, and then, and then I think there are interesting artists who are also bucking that trend. I mean, there's like, I mean, single culture, or like where like songs just get put out, yeah, devoid of a of an artistic context, yeah. you know. Yeah. But sometimes, but a that's always kind of happened. I remember buying Kiss singles, uh-huh. you know what I mean, and sure. being like, uh, "But but even that took a year to make, right?" Yeah, you know I mean, oh, now with like SoundCloud rappers and stuff yeah. like that. I mean, Lil Yachty's been like famous for right a month longer than he's been rapping, or a month <laughs> yeah. shorter than he's been rapping. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, it is it is a little bit, and then I mean, to mixed results, I think the cream still basically rises. Yeah. Um, but it is cool every now and then when someone like when like Kendrick will put out like a uh cohesively put together album mm-hmm. um even if some t- even if like the the later yeah. albums have lacked as many bangers as i wanted sure because it's more experimental like i mean yeah. it's him with thundercat probably yeah. like getting like real weird in the studio at 4 a.m yeah. which god bless him i'm glad i mean i hope i hope he's having fun more than anything but sure. uh so it's cool when people still do that or like mm-hmm. i mean beyonce obviously with lemonade and stuff like even like chance's album felt like mm-hmm there was more thought into it than just like this song and then this song and mm-hmm. then this song. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I mean, I still find like sh- shame. I still buy albums. Like I like to get albums on vinyl and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And I'll still buy them every now and then, especially if it's struggling. You get them at Whole Foods. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. go to Whole Foods. Yeah. <laughs> now that I can't get them at uh, Starbucks anymore. Yeah. I swing through. Whole Foods. God, that's crazy. Isn't it? So crazy. Um, but uh, but I listen to like a lot of stuff on Spotify. Like when yeah. I when I feel out of touch, I'll go like to the rap caviar playlist and yeah. be like, "Who is this Kodak Black fella?" You know. And then like. I'll listen to like three songs, two hundred times each, and then I should be like, I should check out the album. Yeah. So it definitely changes the way I interact with the music. But maybe that's how I did it when the songs were on the radio, and I never checked out the album anyway. I don't. I don't think I ever listened to the whole Sporty Thieves album. But <laughs> yeah, I like no pigeons. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I don't think anyone. Has I don't to think the they did. Thieves. I don't think Sporty Thieves did. Yeah. Yeah, probably not. That's funny. Yeah. So you were talking about. <clears throat> Being Jewish and and being into hip hop, yeah, and and you know I know that feeling, and and it's there's a little bit of like, well, I think you said it. You're sort of conscious of your relationship to yes. that, yeah, right. And um, so how does that play out in your comedy? Like I know you you joke about being Jewish oh, a yeah. lot, right? But but how do you think about like self identity 
when you write and like what things you can't say. Yeah. Well, it's very, you know, it's varied as the world has changed. Like when I first started doing stand up, nobody, there were still people who hated Jews, but it was like fringe, crazy people in like sure. Whitefish, Idaho, and whatever. Yeah. And, uh, so that always comes back around. And then it all and then people get angry <laughs> at Jews again. Yeah. So like right now, yeah. when I talk about being Jewish on stage, it's very much with an awareness that there are like people in positions of power yeah. who are anti Semites. Yeah. You know? And that definitely informed that makes me uh I so now I speak with a little more of like an edge when you just I talk hold about up a being shield? Jewish. I or hold up a like, shield. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I you got I like a riot full, shield. Full Braveheart makeup. I look like a Maccabee up there. No, uh, no. I kind of confront. I try to confront it more. Yeah. I try to just be like, it's weird, you know. It's the and this isn't exactly answering your question, but a bit of a tangent, which is that there's this image of Jews, which is this like we're nebbish, and everybody thinks like when sure. you think of a Jew, you think of like a Woody Allen, right, yeah. or stuff like that, and they they forget that there's like. I'm like six foot three, three hundred and twenty pounds. Right. I played football in high school, and I would have in college if I didn't blow my like. I'm a yeah. big dude. Yeah. Uh, and I'm a full blown. I got a bar mitzvah and everything. I yeah. wore the little prayer shawl, <laughs> all that shit. Yeah. And like the the first, some of the first Jews in like New York and stuff were like mobsters, like Murder Inc. and the right. Purple Gang. We were like murderers for hire. Yeah. People forget that Jews aren't like, and they think they can like push yeah, us around not, a lot. Not all accountants. We're not all accountants, yeah. Right. A lot of us are like like people who you wouldn't want to fuck with, right? Yeah. And like, not I'm not a violent person. I've never I've never been in like an all out fist fight. This I've is been, a warning. This is a warning, but yeah, but <laughs> I but me. I will get violent. No, but just like I mean, with my comedy a little bit lately, I guess that's been the instinct I've wanted to communicate is that I talk a little bit like I tell jokes about how like it's a little scary to be a Jew now again, which is very weird. Yeah, but then also like these new Nazis are fucking pieces of shit. They're like little. They're like they're internet tough guys, yeah, yeah. most of them, For sure. and so that's like kind of the angle I'm taking. And that's, I think, also, I mean, that instinct is a reaction to fear, feeling like, oh shit, people are mad at us again. Yeah, of course. So I, you know, I'm a puffer fish on right. that one. I'm gonna like make myself seem like tough and big and everything. Yeah. Before that, I would just like kind of joke about oh, the weird kosher laws and stuff like that. <laughs> you know, just like kind of uh, just like soft takes on on Judaism. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then, I mean, my own family's like experience, like with the Holocaust and escaping the Holocaust and stuff like that, where I had jokes about that, uh, which got like, a little weird sometimes. Sometimes yeah. there'd be like older Jews who'd come up to me after shows and be like, you shouldn't talk about that. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. And I kept doing it because I was like, you can't tell me how to interpret my history, you know? Right. Of but, course. but yeah, yeah, but I also respect, I was never like, fuck out of here, but I was like, the I first, hear you. The yeah. first time I saw Gerard Carmichael. Yeah. He told one of my favorite jokes of all time. Well, what is it? You understand what I'm saying? Like, I'm starting to appreciate slavery <laughs> for the blessing in disguise that it was. And I know that sounds cold. You know, it's like, how can a man say he appreciates slavery? But you guys got to understand, if it weren't for slavery, you guys, I would be in Africa right now. <laughs> Africa. Are you hearing what I'm saying to you? Like, they have AIDS there. And not the happy I'm gonna buy the Dodgers AIDS. I'm talking the real deal. Like, the scary AIDS. Genius. Right? Yeah, and he really is, too. Gerard, it's the nicest dude in the, oh, yeah. on the pl He is... 
<clears throat> back when I was like just visiting LA and like not shit, he was still like, "Hi, Ian, how are you?" And I was like, "You know who I am, you saint!" Like, he's that's cool. Such a good dude. That's amazing. Um, but but, but you yeah, know, that's such a smart joke and taking like but he trauma. Can say, but and, right, but that's a joke that he and I'm sure yeah. that a lot of people, I'm sure a lot of black people came up to him. Sure. And said, "Hey, you can't right, yeah, can't yeah, say yeah, stuff yeah. like that." You know, call him young blood, saying like you shouldn't. Yeah, exactly. you shouldn't talk about slavery like that. Yeah, I'm sure it is, but like you have to. I mean, like, it's a coping mechanism. Humor, ultimately, you know. Again, not yeah. breaking any news with that. But, like, you still have to, if you're a Jew or if you're a black person, even if you aren't, I mean, black people more so than Jews are still continuously experiencing trauma. Mm -hmm. But, like, um, you still have to cope with that. You still have to deal with that. The understanding that there were enough humans that that's just how things were who, like, thought you weren't a person. Right. You know? Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, even if you didn't firsthand go through with it. I think you need to be able to talk about it. So, are, are you, um, do you run into like political correctness issues? Is that? I never really have. Yeah. You know, I, I understand. I hear, I hear that conversation happening. I know Chappelle, like, Chappelle complained they, they had about some it. Beef. Well, they, he got yeah. some beef over like, the, oh, that's right. His trans, the, the, the transphobic trans stuff. Shows. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, there's, I, they, I don't ever want to tell like, it is never, it, like, one thing I always try to keep in mind, it is not your job to tell an oppressed person how to react to their oppression. Sure. And if a trans person hears those jokes and feels like they're being, like, turned into the other or lessened as a person, yeah. it's not my place to tell them how to feel about it. Mm -hmm. At the same time, you take people like Dave Chappelle and you're like, this is clearly a thoughtful person, mm -hmm. and you like to think that sometimes people have, like, some almost, like, emotional money in the bank or, like, emotional credit where you're like, yeah. all right, but it's Chappelle, and he's like... Right. But, again, it's not my place to tell people, man. I've never run into it. Mm -hmm. I've heard a lot of people complain. Even Seinfeld, believe it or not, like, yeah, complain yeah, about, like, yeah. colleges are too PC. I've played right. colleges. I've told all sorts of crazy jokes, and people... Every now and then I've had people come up to me and say, like, this joke, maybe not. And, like, I hear them out. And then sure. I hold the star chamber in my head. And I'm like, mm -hmm. nah, fuck them. And I keep telling it. That's the thing. People can tell you whatever they want. You don't have to listen to You, you can listen <laughs> right. to it, but you don't have to internalize it. Yeah. That's the fucked up thing. People talk about how, like, com comedy's gotten, like, too PC now, right? Would da uh, Daniel Tosh a few years mm -hmm. ago told that, like, a rape joke at mm -hmm. the uh, laugh Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then... Proceeded to make tens of millions of dollars over the next five years on Tosh.0. Right. Yeah. Didn't do anything to him. People being upset didn't do anything to him. Yeah. Schumer, uh, you know, Chappelle. Yeah. Chappelle got like a little hot water for the transphobic remarks, right? If you want to call them that. And a lot sure. of and a lot of trans people did feel that way. Yeah. So maybe they were. Yeah, it didn't but, really affect him though. But let him let him say, hey, I'm at the uh I'm at the what at the Echoplex here yeah. in LA tomorrow night. Yeah, yeah. Tickets are a hundred dollars each. Yeah, he's gonna sell, sell out. out in a minute, yeah. you know? So that's the thing. Like the whole, if, I don't know, it doesn't seem to be hurting any of these people in the pocketbooks. Right. So I kind of call bullshit on this idea that comedy is getting ruined by PC culture. I don't think it is, man. Like yeah. I just think people who have felt oppressed for hundreds of years are finally feeling that there's an environment where they can be like, actually, it kind of sucks when you say that. Yeah, sure. And that doesn't mean, people are, I mean, people aren't, we're not, People are not, like, we're not fucking fiats. You know, we can't turn on that. We're cruise ships. Mm -hmm. So it takes people sometimes a long time to make that turn, right? Yeah. That's what humans are like. So you hear that. 
mm-hmm. and you're still mm-hmm. stuck in your ways a little bit, but maybe it makes you change your trajectory a little bit. Yeah. And it makes the world, you know, bit by bit a better place. So that's, that's how it. I feel about it. I'm not mad at anyone. If someone wants to, like, share their truth and how something makes them feel, I'm here to hear it. And then hopefully they understand that I'm not necessarily going to fully internalize it right off the bat. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. But I'm glad people feel like they can speak up because mm-hmm. it would feel terrible to feel a certain way and then also on top of that feel like society would reject you for sharing your feelings, you know? Sure. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, but Chappelle's fine. He'll be fine. Like, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, it didn't really affect <laughs> him. <laughs> yeah. Give people something to talk about. I wonder if you even heard about it. You know, yeah. it may, it's very possible that that never even got back to him. But you have to be, I mean, you don't get to that level or any level of success if you're not, if you don't have a thick enough skin. Right. Some people that don't like your shit. You have to have a thick skin and you have to have a big brain. I mean, you have to yeah. you have to be a thoughtful person. I mean, to get to that level of being a stand-up comedian. Yeah. And yeah, I'm sure if somebody sat down and was like, Dave, here's how like these people feel and everything, you know, give him enough time and he would have, you know, he'd right. see their point of view. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Very yeah. he's a very smart, sensitive person. You can't be yeah, one of the five greatest comedians ever and not be, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Who's the other four for you? For me? Yeah. God, like, I mean, I, I have a personal Rushmore and, like, okay. an objective all-time Rushmore. Okay. So I think, like, the objective one, if it's, like, five the five greatest, I mean, Chappelle's definitely one of them. And then, God, I think, I mean, I also think, like, Chris Rock, oh, fuck, I mean, it's cumulative. This is so hard. This is such a hard <laughs> question. I shouldn't have said top five. I think Chappelle is, I think, Louis almost has to be up there now. I think Eddie Murphy I'm not going to get any women and people are going to be mad at me, but whatever. Uh, and then Carlin. Yeah. And Pryor, probably. I mean, that's, I think, just as in terms of people who changed the game for people completely. Yeah. And just for, like, comedy in general, each of those people just, like. <clears throat> what about your personal? Personal. My, my favorite comedian of all time is this guy, Eddie Izzard, who's a oh, British yeah. dude. Yeah. yeah. It's great. Yeah, crossdresser too, but like I mean, that's not. But uh, that's probably what makes him funny. It's it. That is that struggle. May it might be actually, but like, just a genius and like jokes about. Because you know, I grew like I said earlier in the pot, grew up in like Beaverton, Oregon, in the suburbs. Mm-hmm. Things were very low stakes for me. Mm-hmm. It was never like is my dad like I was never worried about my dad coming home and beating me up or there not being any food. Right. The, the the things I had to work through were very low stakes. It was like, yeah. I'm a chubby kid, and, like, I like to read a lot or whatever. And uh, so I saw this guy, and he's joking about, like, history and, like, you know, commenting on the world more so than, like, yeah. commenting, on, commenting on himself, which yeah. I was like, oh, shit, you can do that. So for me, he is he's one of them. Uh, God, who else is a mate? Like, I really re- – Kyle Kinane is mm-hmm. a comedian who just – who I have, like, I would, I think it would, I don't know what my comedy would be like if it weren't for him, but just, yeah. like, watching, he was, like, he's been, like, a big brother to me and, like, a lot of other, even though he's not from Portland, but he mm-hmm. spent a lot of time there. Oh, cool. With, like, me and the other Portland comedians. He would, like, take us on the road and stuff. And then on top of it, I just think he's, like, one of the funniest dudes in the world right now. Nice. Uh, and, like, very, like, philosophical in a way. Yeah. Um, God, and then, and then, George, I mean, Carlin, like, I would, I read all I read all his books before I ever did like saw oh, any really? stand up. Yeah. yeah, but I loved him as a kid and just like a lot of wordplay and stuff like yeah. that. Which like yeah. I don't do in my stand up now, but it was like fun mental gymnastics mm-hmm. like when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I think Maria Bamford is mm-hmm. like that's somebody who 
I have learned nothing from, but who I admire so much. Because okay. I just see her do stand up, I'm like, I can't do any of that. Yeah, you know right. what I mean? Yeah, it's like wa- it's like watching Russell Westbrook dunk. It's like cool. I'm so glad I got to see that. Yeah. I'm not even gonna try it. Right. You're so because you like I I will kill myself if I try to try to do that. But watching her, she's just one of my favorite. Anytime she puts something out, I'm like I'm like it's a midnight release shit for me. Yeah. And then Norm McDonald, I think, is the other one who's another guy like that. Oh yeah, he's who great. like his new special is so fucking oh, good. Really? It's that. out on Netflix. It yeah. is another person where like if you wrote if you wrote down the things he says on stage. And, like, had me, a talented comedian, read them. Mm-hmm. It wouldn't be funny. Mm. But just his particular way that he can deliver a joke is, like... He was on one of the roasts. Yeah. Oh. And he did, like, like, the, for the birds. like, the bombing on purpose yeah. kind of thing. It, it was so It's the hardest I've funny. ever laughed at a roast. Yeah. He's just... He is such a, spe- a specific kind of genius. He's, yeah. like... He's one of one. Yeah. Him and Bamford both are just, like, these, like... Like, shooting stars. Like, yeah. they really, where you're, like... I'm so glad I'm alive at the same time as you because there's not going to be another one, you know? That's good. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, I have a little... Uh, we do a little speed round. Oh, great, yeah. Before uh, they kick us out of here. Let me see. Okay, so um, go back to your your 18-year-old self or maybe, maybe yeah. like, before you move to L.A. Okay, yeah. And give yourself one piece of advice. Oh. Okay, so... For, take care of yourself first mm. would be the biggest piece of advice because that's the only only that's the that's the thing that will fix every other problem in your life is like focus on yourself first not in a selfish way but like take care of your own feelings first take care of what you want to do in your career first go mm. to the gym you know first mm. and like and that will if you focus on yourself then any relationship that falls apart fine at least you still have yourself you yeah. know what i mean yeah. Don't yeah. Don't spend all your energy trying to fix other people or help other people. What do you think stops us from doing that? I think we want to be accepted. Mm. I think I think it is a. I think we're all building like when you do that when you focus on other people you're building like a paper mache house for yourself where it looks like a house and it's you can sit in it but yeah. like as soon as it rains it all falls apart. Wow. So I think like I think because what we're all trying to get is that acceptance and we want. We want to be part of a tribe. We want a family. We want to be loved, right? Mm-hmm. But when mm-hmm. we go the easy way to do that, you get it for a second, but it's saccharine. It's just there for a second. You get the sugar hit, and there's nothing else to it. And I think, but it feels like it. It mm-hmm. feels like you're getting the right thing, but you aren't really. But when you focus on yourself and build yourself up, and then through that, you get you get to the other place, you know? Yeah. It's harder work. Yeah, but it's also it's up being more fulfilling, and I'm just I've just been finding that out in the last couple of years. You know, even if I hadn't moved to LA, I think I would, and it was sure. still in Portland. I'd go back to my 18 year old self and mm. say that. What other talent have you always wished you had more of? Oh God, I wish I. You know what? I would love to be a great singer. Oh yeah, yeah. I have not a I, I have an acceptable karaoke singing voice, uh-huh. but I've always been so intrigued by people. I was in. I wrote for the Grammys this year, and we mm. were d- shooting this thing with uh, John Legend, just in the hallways of the Staples Center, and he sang his, all of me, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And like, I started, oh, I started yeah. like crying. Just pe- the words meant nothing to me because it's right. like you know whatever. It's but like just how beautiful the dude's voice is. I'm like, you're like a wizard. You have a skill. You can cast a spell where you just sing, and yeah. then people start crying. Like if I had been chasing, imagine you're trying to kill John Legend, right? You you have a knife, 
And you're I chasing, do often imagine you, we all We all think of that. And you're chasing him through a hallway, right? You know, yeah. and you're like, I'm going to kill you, John Legend. And he turns around and just starts singing to you. Well, you can't kill him. <laughs> you couldn't imagine trying to stab John Legend to death while he's like singing like all of me. You're just like, no, I'm sorry, man. It just got out of hand. You're great. <laughs> you know, you couldn't do it. So That's I think fantastic. it's like, I mean, I would you'd never pay for a meal. Whatever yeah. at the end of a dinner, you just stood up on your <laughs> chair. <laughs> and you're like, attention, everyone. And then you just sang like a beautiful version of Hallelujah, right? And then like, fantastic. yeah, everyone would just clap and you'd walk out. They wouldn't even think to bring you a check. <laughs> That's great. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure that's how John Legend's life is. I hope it is, yeah. yeah. Just hanging out with Chrissy Teigen and singing in restaurants. Anything you want. Oh, my God, what a life. Yeah, That's got to be, that's who I'd switch, if there's anybody, <laughs> I think it would probably be John Legend. So if I worked for you, yeah. uh, what is something I would hear you say over and over? Oh, that's a good question. Uh, the word hella. Yeah, that's uh, good. It's <laughs> yeah. good. I appreciate when people not from the Bay Area because I'm from San Francisco. Yeah, yeah. I appreciate when people say it. Oh, good. That are aren't Moshe Kasher, who's a comedian from Oakland, gets yeah. so mad at me when I say hella. Like that's not your word. I'm no, like, because here's why. So I yeah. grew up there, and like it was part of daily vocabulary. Yeah. Right. Especially if you're into hip hop, but even not. Right. Yeah. But now that I don't live here, like people say it when they want to show you that they're from the Bay. Oh, it's like a signaling it's thing. it's fucking annoying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? I think, I just like, and so, so it's like a cool a, I want, word. I want to disempower that word from the Bay. Give it to the whole West yeah. Coast. Yeah. Exactly. In Portland, we don't have words. You'd hear <laughs> hell a lot, and then you would hear the word fucking instead of a pause. Where it'd be like, <laughs> oh, yeah. oh, we got to go to the fucking, okay. uh, fucking uh, Trader Joe's after the, yeah. Uh, I forgot also, to tell you my Portland connection. So oh, yeah. In the 90s, I used to manage Cool Nuts. Oh, no shit. Yeah. I have a T-shirt that says, I hate Cool Nuts yeah, yeah, on yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's, that's, uh, he's still the homie. And check my rhyme, cool nuts on the grind through the sands of time. Believe it, federal, international, Connecticut to the Bronx, what? Seattle to Southern Cal. I represent rap music for the masses. Not the He's the, I love that guy. He put yeah. on from Portland before anyone else. Did. I yeah. guess him, Lifesavers. But now yeah. we have that Amine guy. Oh, yeah. And like Mick Cape. So we have like rappers who are getting like a little bit of heat out of Portland. Portland's but it was strong. Never would have happened without cool nuts, man. Love that dude. Yeah. Yeah. In with E40, too, yeah, which I yeah, really for admire. Sure. For sure. E40, I love E40. He tells a story. I saw an interview with him yeah. recently. He tells a story about me getting him the In a Major Way. Oh, yeah. Uh, like the pre-release cassette. Oh, no shit. And, and I sent it to him, and he was like, he just he wore out that tape. That warped his you know brain I mean? a little bit. Yeah, awesome. Sure. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah. Um, um, okay. Who would you be most excited to learn as a fan of your work? Oh, my God. Larry David. Yes. Yeah. It would blow just like, I mean, I'm such a big fan of his, but just knowing the genius brain, if he saw yeah. like any talent in me, yeah, that would make me so excited. And then the answer, to, like a, 1B is Rashid Wallace. Okay. If somehow it got better. Yeah. My favorite blazer of all time. If somehow it was like, yo, Rashid was at your show and he was cracking up. I can't hear Rasheed Wallace's name without. There's an E40 diss oh, where he disses Rasheed Wallace. He does? Yeah. Oh, I haven't heard that. Oh, it's, it's oh like, no, two princes going at each oh, other. What? It's so, <laughs> it's so, I, Is it a Bay Area thing? Is it like a Warriors? I, I think so. Yeah. I forget, I forget what it was. I'm going to have to go find that. Sheed. Yeah, I love him so much. I'll send you that yeah. song. I forget what song it was, but he, he said, I forget what the beef was. Yeah. A long time ago. 
That's funny. What's your favorite city to travel to? Ooh, that's a great question. Uh, I love, well, God, it's hard to divorce it of the experiences I've had there. Sure. Austin is amazing. I mean, now it's Portland. Yeah. Because uh, I don't live there anymore, but that's that seems too easy. I would say I would say uh, I think Toronto is maybe my favorite city really? to go to. Great city for comedy, yeah. Because like all of Canada's funniest people end up there yeah. in kind of like a like logjam because it's mm -hmm. so hard to come to the states. Mm -hmm. So the crowds are used to really good comedy. They're really smart crowds. It's an amazing walking city. Cool. Great restaurants. Great food. People are so nice. Beautiful, beautiful people too. Yeah. Yeah. I love Toronto. I, I'm going there next month. I I fuck nice. with it heavy. I love T Toronto. Dot. Yeah. The T dot. Uh, that's dope. That's dope. Um, what's the last great book you read? Oh. I read. I do. I do read. The last great book was probably this book called Wild Ones by John Mualam. Okay. Um, fiction, nonfiction. Non I almost exclusively read nonfiction. Yeah. Anymore, uh, it's a book about uh, like like specifically Americans, but also just humans' relation to like wildlife conser mm. uh, conservation, mm -hmm. which seems like a dry topic. And I and I think in other people's hands it would be, but he's such a good storyteller. Really. And it's like all about these stories of these people who go to like. Uh, try to save polar bears in like Canada and like whooping cranes. So the people who like fly these planes with whooping cranes and oh, like, wow. and about like what happened to the buffalo in the American West. And like, it he does such a good job of like making you accidentally learn stuff. That's cool. Uh, that that I, I think it's like a truly great book. And yeah. then that's really good. I read some good John Ronson books. So you've been publicly shamed. Was uh -huh, a really yeah, good yeah, one. Yeah. Um, especially relating. I mean, to back what we were talking about with like social media and stuff like that. Yeah. And then, uh, yeah, I think I guess those would be the the two I would call out. Yeah. Those are good. What movie do you think you've seen the most? Wedding Crashers. Only be and I haven't even seen it in five years, probably. Oh wow! But there was just a specific era when I was living in Portland, Oregon, with like three other dudes. When like anytime we would come home from the bar, yeah, you like put that on. Is that right? And we came home from the bar a lot. So, <laughs> <laughs> so oh, I think a, that's a good movie. That's yeah, nice. that's up there. And then a sneaky one. Because it's my, I'm on the road alone, and I'm going to put this on and fall asleep. Yeah. So I've probably seen, like, the first half of it a million times is the Beats, Rhymes, and Life documentary uh, yeah. about Tribe. It's just so good. It's great. It's so good. Yeah. And you don't want to see the end because it's like, you know, it's like, oh, they're breaking up. Yeah. Um, and there's, yeah. A, and like, Fife talks about it. The, there's the whole thing about his diabetes. I know. And, you might bottom out and play yourself. Yeah. 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 Um, I know. Yeah, so foreshadowing. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's a little, yeah. But sure. just a really well-made document. Yeah. Watching oh, uh, Tip like make the beat to "Can I Kick It," mm -hmm. like 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 I found these drums, mm -hmm. and then you know you play this Lou Reed sample, and then it's like it's just one of those like beautiful moments. Yeah, yeah. Can I kick it to all the people who can quest like a tribe does? Before this, did you really know what I was? Comprehend to the track force. Why? Cause getting mentions on the tip of the vibe buzz. Rock and roll to the beat of the funk fuzz. Wipe your feet. Who's the best DJ of all time? DJ? God, I don't have... I don't know if I have huge opinions on that. Okay. Um, You don't have to. I... <laughs> There was a, I, I mean, like, I mean, if you could, cut, like, I've never seen him live or anything, but I love, like, DJ Shadow stuff, uh, and, like, introducing, you yeah. know, it was, like, a, such a good album, and yeah. then, uh, there was a time 
when I was got really into like Scribble Jam and like uh -huh. shit like that, and like I was like I had a bunch of like Invisible Scratch Pickles MP3s and stuff uh -huh. like that. And like the executioners, yeah. I w regularly fucked with like an executioner CD in like Is high right? school, and like none of my friends were into it. But I was like, "This is cool!" Like, <laughs> yeah. So uh, I like all, I like all those guys anymore. I couldn't I couldn't really tell you. You know, I wish I went I wish I went out to those situations more. But I'm rarely in a situation with a DJ. But I also think those guys like were were. They were inventing something. They were. I mean, does yeah. Della count? Like, I mean, is that a? Yeah. I guess he's more of a producer, more of a producer than a DJ. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but those guys were inventing like different ways to like. Yeah. Listen to music. I yeah, mean, yeah. And for like forging these like synapse connections within the zeitgeist, where it was like, for sure. Did you know that this is like a lot like this? And you're like, I never had any idea that those two things were similar. You know? Yeah. Which is very cool. Which is, I mean, those connections just help the world evolve artistically at a faster pace i think which is cool absolutely yeah um so yeah one of those guys <laughs> yeah. those, are, those are great dude thanks for doing this of man. course yeah it's been, it's been a lot of fun talking to it's you. been great this has yeah. been really nice yeah it's this is it, this is a rare thing i would rather be doing than outside in this beautiful <laughs> la weather well so let's get you great. outside yeah, yeah. all right that's a wrap i hope you enjoyed it ian carmel was dope you were even better Make sure you leave us some reviews on iTunes, comments on Twitter, at Rebel Radio Net. Check out our YouTube page, at Rebel Radio Net, or YouTube.com slash Rebel Radio Net. Uh, you can find us on Facebook in the same place, and you can find us right back here next week. Peace. <laughs>